Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, hope that you had a, a great weekend. Again, welcome. Thank you for coming here and, and being a part. Proud of you, Miss Vicky. She is a Florida Gator fan, for the record. And so, so to be able to say that, um, you know, and congratulate her opponents, uh, just shows you what God can do in a life. God is good. I uh, just want to echo again, want to make sure everyone understands, next Sunday we do not have an early service. Because of the children's musical, uh, we've just found over the past few years, first service is usually uh, just a skeleton crew. Not a whole lot of people show up because everyone wants to see the kids, right? So we're just going to all go see the kids uh, next Sunday. So uh, you can come here and hang out, have coffee, whatever, but we won't be having a service until 11. That's actually going to happen a few more times here pretty soon. Christmas it's, is on a Sunday this year. So is New Year's Day. And so on Christmas Day, the 25th, we'll have one service at 11. And then on New Year's Day, we'll have one service at 11 to let all you old folks sleep in. After staying up, <laughs> after staying up too late, I'll be preaching a sermon called uh, uh, Holy Hangover on January 1st. I encourage you, I'm serious, I encourage you to come uh, and, and see how you can give people a holy hangover when they come in contact with you. Um, but we are finishing up our... Um, our series called Generous. I pray that you've enjoyed this series. I have. I've been really honest with, with y'all from the very beginning that there was a little bit of fear in my life that had crept in uh, regarding uh, preaching on anything close to money because I didn't want to be that preacher. I didn't want to be that guy. You know, that, that everyone says, well, the church wants money, the church wants that kind of stuff. And so the Lord really dealt with me strongly corrected me. And so uh, this, this has been a great month for me because I've gotten free of my fear of that. Uh, doesn't mean I'm going to preach on money all the time. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, but but I, I'm, I'm glad to finally share some stuff with you guys that quite honestly, I was holding back a little bit and it wasn't right for you. Uh, and so we've talked about being generous. And just as a quick uh, recap, generosity is the mindset that just because a resource comes to me, doesn't mean that it belongs to me. Just because something comes my way doesn't mean it's necessarily for me. On the other hand, greed is the assumption that since a resource came to me, then it is for me. And that's what greed is. We don't want to be greedy. We want to be generous people because God is generous. And we talked about uh, how, you know, greed produces owners. Generosity produces stewards. Greed says this is mine. Generosity says this is God's. We talked about why be generous, if you recall. We said generous, being generous is fun. It's needed. And it's the heart of God. And hopefully you were here when we tipped our pizza delivery people. Uh, the first Sunday kicked off. That was so much fun. We gave them a huge... We, um, everyone was talking about that in, around town. Everyone heard about VFC that tipped the pizza delivery people hundreds of dollars. And, and I've, I've heard since that those people are doing well and super grateful. Um, so it was cool. We, we have also talked about three tools uh, that will empower you uh, to generate generosity in your own life. Three tools that God has, has given you that if you'll utilize them, it will help you be generous. This is the concept of sowing and reaping, okay? Sowing and reaping is intentionally planting seed for a specific harvest. Intentionally planting seed for a specific harvest. That's sowing and reaping. Percentage giving. 
Percentage giving is, is, is giving based on not the total sum, but the percentage. Why? Because that's what impresses God, according to what we see in Scripture. And you've heard of a percentage gift that's called the tithe. That's 10. It's not a rule. It's, not an old te- it's part of the Old Testament law. It's not a law now in the New Testament. It's an opportunity for you to be a part of, okay? But God doesn't hate you if you don't tithe, all right? God loves you just as much if you're a tither or if you're a non-tither. But you, if you, if you, if, but if you practice percentage giving, it's an opportunity for you to be blessed. It's for an opportunity for you to be generous. And then we talked about first fruits giving. First fruits giving is giving your first and giving your best. We don't give God our leftovers. We don't give God. We don't wait till the end of the month and make sure we have enough to give. We go ahead and give and trust God to help us make it through the end of the month, right? Again, that was Old Testament law at one point. You had to give first fruits. Now you get to if you want to. You get, you, it's an opportunity for you to partner with God and, uh, and receive his benefits. These things generate generosity. And again, Tiffany and I, we've been so blessed. We were trained in how to operate in these tools. Um, we, we've had just crazy stories where God has blessed us because of our obedience, not because we're awesome people or whatever or because there's anything special about us, but because there's something really special about God. And when you operate in his rules, you get God's results. When we first moved here to Thomasville, um, this is a first fruit story. Uh, we, we, we bought a, a, bought a house. It was a, we, we had, we had outlived our income when we lived in Birmingham. We had emptied out our savings account. We were living way above our means. We were in a house that we had no business being in. So when we moved to Thomasville, uh, we, we were really under, under uh, conviction and correction by the Lord. And so God was like, okay, you know, you need to get your finances in order. So we, you know, we, we did all sorts of stuff. At that point, we actually gave away a car. We had two cars, and we gave one away to someone. And because I was working from home, and we didn't really need a second one, and I could borrow my dad's truck if I ever needed. And so we, were, we just began to sow. We began to sow. We began to sow. And about four years after we moved into the house, the first house we lived in here, the Lord began to move on our, our heart um, to, to build because we were having a third kid on the way. and We just didn't have enough rooms, okay? And so uh, Tiff was away at a women's conference, and I heard the Lord pretty clearly. It wasn't audible. I don't hear God talk to me audibly. I've never heard that, but uh, it's an impression. It's an idea. It's a thought that it doesn't come from me. And, and, and he told me, he goes, go ahead and put a for sale sign in your yard. And I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> I printed up one of those little sheets and stuff, put a for sale sign in the yard. Well, it wasn't just a few hours later, Tiffany came home and freaked out. Because she came home to see that her house was for sale without prior, prior knowledge of hers. And, and she was like, what are you doing? There's like still like a hole in the wall, like that we still need to patch up and stuff like that. That's what happens when you have young kids and you're a youth pastor. You have holes in your wall at your house. And so, um, and, and so I was like, baby, if, if you'll just trust me, I feel like I've heard from God. And she said, okay. The man is crazy, but okay. Uh, and it just shortly after that, this same day, it wasn't even dark all the way outside. A man walked up to our house, said, take your son down. Your house is sold. And we sold our house for 50% more than we paid for it just four or five years ago. Isn't that crazy? All right. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because, because that's first fruits. 
Remember, one of the things about first fruits is immediate obedience, right? When God tells you to do something, you do it. Why? Because he's God. And he knows. Amazingly, we hadn't even started building our new house yet. So the the person went ahead. We closed on the house. They let us live in our house rent-free for several months while our new house was being built. Isn't that crazy? It was amazing. It was amazing. And so um, later on, um, you know, I told you we'd given away a car. Tiff and the kids got in a wreck. Some guy pulled out uh, in front of her and totaled the car. And uh, it was, you know, it was one of those things we were like, gosh, you know, and I remember just making my heart turn towards the Lord, just forcing it and saying, Lord, I'm going to treat this as an opportunity for you to show yourself strong on our behalf. I mean, I want to get mad at you because why'd you allow this? I mean, I, I get all that, but I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to intentionally change my heart and say, God, do your thing. And it's crazy. So the, 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 the car was, was totaled. I'm on, the, I'm on the phone with the insurance company, you know, where they're going to lowball me, right? Because that's what insurance companies do. Sorry if you work for an insurance company. But it's in their best interest not to let go of their money. I understand that. So I've got like literally tabs open on my web browser where I've got all these different, like I know exactly what this car is worth. I had a, I had a dream spot and I had a realistic spot. I was going to hit them with what I thought and let them talk me down to what was realistic. So she, she says, okay, Mr. Nunley, we, we've calculated it and uh, we're going to give you X amount for your car. It was 30% more than what the thing was worth. And so we not only had no debt anymore on that car, we were able to buy a nice car with cash. And you know what you do when you don't have a car payment anymore? You keep paying it to yourself every month for years, and then you can buy a really nice car cash. It sets you up where you can always buy cars cash every five, six years. Think about it, $400, $500 payment every single month. Just pay it to yourself. And so that set us up to where we were able, because remember, what had we sown? A car. We had given away a car. That was hard. Believe me, that was hard, wasn't it? I mean, I remember us praying about it and thinking, are we nuts for giving away a car to someone? Well, I think we've heard from the Lord. But God has, because of that first fruits, because of that sowing and reaping, because of percentage giving, I'm telling you, you can live in a supernatural way. You can. It's not just us, okay? You can do that. So... This morning, the title of this is My Precious. Has anyone ever read the book, uh, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings trilogy? Anyone read the book? Okay. Has anyone seen the movie? And then everyone raises their hands. I got the movie crew. I figured everyone's like, the book's better. Of course the book's better. It takes weeks to get through. The movie's like three hours. That's, you know. So, of course, the book's always better. But we got the movie crew here. That's cool. That, I don't know if you know this, but Tolkien, who wrote those books, was a believer. He actually led C.S. Lewis to Christ, who later wrote uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Chronicles of Narnia series. And both books are filled with imagery and symbolism of Christianity, of their Christian faith. There's a character uh, whose name is Gollum. Now, you don't have to have seen the books or, 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 or seen the mo- read the books or seen the movies to get this, but Gollum, I'll give you the, the cliff notes. He found a ring that was really important, and he became absolutely obsessed with it. And he called it, my precious, right? My precious. And he said it in that raspy voice, right? And um, he eventually died chasing it. And it's an allegory of how humanity pursues wealth and power and how we confuse that wealth and power with our purpose. 
We have a purpose that's opposite of just gaining wealth, of just chasing the flashy things, the shiny things, right? Gollum lost himself in pursuit of the ring. And we find this concept all throughout Scripture. So what I want to do to close out this series uh, on generosity is I, I want to I look at two passages, okay? I want to look at two passages. They're both in 1 Timothy 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're just going to read these. Now, last week I threw a ton of scripture and a lot of points at you. This time we're just going to kind of camp out in, in, a, in one area, okay? So, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I have it up here on the screen in the New Living Translation if you don't have your Bible or your Bible app. Um, verse, I'm going to start with verse 8 actually real quick. It says, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, let me just, let me back up for a second give you some, con, some context. So, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. You've got to be careful. You need to know, if you're reading an area of the Bible, you need to know who wrote it, who it was written to, and why it was written. Some of the books of the Bible are named after the person who wrote it. Some of the books of the Bible are named after the person it's written to. Okay? See, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are about Jesus. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote it. Okay? This book, 1 Timothy, was not written by Timothy. It was written by Paul to Timothy. Okay? So you've you got to kind of know some stuff. So Paul is giving instructions to Timothy, who is a new pastor in a wildly pagan city of Ephesus. And he's given him some instructions. This, this whole, this, this whole uh, book is, a, is giving Timothy instructions on how to shepherd people and how to love people and how to deal with the, the circumstances and the surroundings that he's dealing with. Okay? We're at the end of the book, uh, which was a letter, okay? and he's just kind of summing everything up. Okay? So, verse 9. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Wow. What a warning. What a warning. Now you... Almost anyone, whether you've been in church before or not, have heard probably the phrase that the love of money is the root of all evil. You may have even heard that money is the root of all evil, and that's not true. That's not what Scripture says. Money is simply a tool. Money is like a brick. You can build a building with it, or you can throw it through someone's window. Okay? It can be good, or it can be bad. Depends on how you use it, right? And so it's the same thing with money. Now, the Amplified Version which is another version of the Bible I like to use. It, it, it breaks out uh, the Greek words within the text. And if you've got a Bible app, it's going to be on there. It says, the love of money, that is, the greedy desire for it and the willingness to gain, and the willingness to gain it unethically. That's how he defines the love of money. Greedy desire, greedy desire, and willingness to gain it unethically. How do you know if you love money? How do you know? We all have money. We all have at least some degree of money, right? How do you know if you love it? It's really, really easy. It's defined right here. If you're willing to depart from your convictions to get it, you love it. If you're willing to depart from your convictions in order to get it, that means you love it, all right? Because you have placed it above what you know to be true. It's interesting at the end here, it says, some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. The message is another translation. It's actually, it's actually not a translation. It's actually a paraphrase. And I don't recommend you read the message by itself. 
uh, as your Bible, I recommend you supplement a translation with the message since it's just a paraphrase, okay? Because you'll, you'll miss some stuff if you only read the message. But it's really good at like bringing uh, context and bringing the intention of the author to life, okay? And so the message says this. It says, some lose their footing in the faith completely. Some lose their footing in the faith completely. See, we have a huge warning here. Paul has given a huge warning to Timothy, who's been put in charge of shepherding people. He's like, look, look, there are people who long to be rich, okay? People who desire to be rich have, have, have some serious, serious uh, potential for disaster in their lives. See, the problem is the desire to be rich is an appetite. And appetites don't just go away, do they? When you feed it, your appetite actually grows. Think about that. Some of you out ate your appetite this weekend. <laughs> Have you ever seen the graph? It's like a circle graph. It's got the size of my stomach, the amount of food I ate, the amount of food uh, prepared. <laughs> and that's Thanksgiving dinner for us, right? Each circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but, but when you have an appetite and you feed it, it doesn't make it go away, Right? it actually makes you want to continue to feed it. Um, if, you've, if you've ever been to a restaurant and you have like the best meal you've ever had, you don't say, okay, well, I did that. No, you think, when can we go again? Right? Because you fed an appetite and now you want to continue down that same road. And so uh, the desire to be rich is an appetite. See, no one wants to lose their faith. No one wakes up in the morning, I've got faith, I want to lose it. No one does that, do they? No, no one does that at all. But what we have here is if, if you look at all the action words in this, in this scripture, it says people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge. Do you see? Do, do you see how active this pursuit of money can be? And what, what scripture is doing is in, in a loving manner, God is putting up guardrails for us. And he's saying, look, have you ever seen guardrails on a road? Of course you have. Have you ever noticed the areas, the terrain around you when you see guardrails? Usually there's a drop off or maybe there's a lake or maybe there's something nearby. In other words, the more potential danger there is, the more likely you are to see guardrails. Okay? In the same way, we see guardrails put up here around the pursuit of money. Why? Because it has a strong potential of hurting you. It's a clear warning. And what's so sad is that we already seen that God has the tools at your disposal to show you how to be generous. God has already given you the tools through his word. You don't have to pursue money. Money will pursue you if you do things God's way. It's so sad. So sad when we go outside of God's will and God's word. So that's the setup. Now, I want to camp the rest of the time in another passage that's just down the road from this one. Same chapter, okay, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But we're going to look at verses 17 and 19. I didn't change the reference on the PowerPoint. It's verses 17 and 19, okay? So we're going to pick up. He, he continues on. You can read this whole chapter on your own if you'd like. Now he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous. There's that word generous. 
generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I want to kind of take this apart and just kind of work through this verse the rest of the time here. But before we do, I need to convince you of something. And you're not going to like this and you're going to push back a little bit on it, okay? But, but I really need to convince you of something this morning. And, and that convincing, that thing I need, to, I need to make sure you understand is that you are rich. You are rich. It says, it says, it says warn those who are rich in this life. So it'd be easy for us to say, oh, well, that's not me, right? I I don't know who you think you're talking to this morning, but I am not in that category, right? But you are rich, y'all. The poorest person in this room right now was one of the richest people on the planet. See, no one thinks they're rich. I get that. Because no one feels rich. We don't feel rich, right? We don't feel like money is totally in control, We don't feel like we can do whatever we want without having to worry about money. Most people, they've done studies on this, most people say they'd feel rich no matter what they make currently, what their annual income is. Most people say that they would feel rich if they made about double what they currently make. So if you make 50 grand a year, the answer for you, probably eh, 100 grand, right? If you make 100 grand, the answer for you, eh, 200 grand. If you make 200 grand, the answer, ah, 400 grand. It just keeps going and going. They've actually asked people who make a million dollars a year, what would it take? Are you rich? They go, no, I'm not rich. No one feels rich. Well, what would it take for you? They actually asked a bunch of millionaires what, what it would take for them to feel rich, and their answer was around $5 million. That's what it would take for them to feel rich. Isn't that crazy? Because, see, you, you, wherever you are, you just keep moving the bar up, Right? Do you remember, those of you that have been working for a long time, maybe you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, you remember when you were in your 20s, what you first made? Do you, do you remember, do you remember how, how much you thought about if I could just make this, and now you make that, and now you're just in as much debt and worry, right? <laughs> Why? Because you just kept moving your standard of living up as your income came up. And lots, for lots of us, our standard of living includes spending what we don't have. Right? You just keep, you know, I think about that. So I'll look at a big church and I'll be like, man, I wish I had the funds that they have. Right? Man, I mean, some of these places just start putting zeros behind what we spend. I mean, it's like, that'd be amazing. They have the exact same problem. It's just a bigger problem. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't put, that we understand that, guys, you, I, I need, and you're not going to like this. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to try to convince you for another five minutes here that you're rich, even though you don't feel like it. Let me show you some stats. If you make more than $34,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of global annual incomes. Wow, did you hear that? $34,000, if you as an individual make $34,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. You remember when everyone occupied Wall Street and they're like, the 1%? Well, guess what? Most of them were the 1%. Their perspective was America. But in the global perspective, all those people were actually in the 1%. They just didn't realize it. Now, why, does, why do you not feel rich? Well, by comparison to making the top 1% of the U.S., you have to make $500,000. 
That's why you don't feel rich. You don't feel like the top 1%, right? Right. And, and so um, that, and this is just saying this is from a book called The Haves and the Have-Nots. According to the Washington Post, to be among the wealthiest half of the world, you need to own only around $3,000 in net assets. In other words, if you were to sell everything that you own and pay off all your debts, if you have at least $3,000 left over, then you're in the wealthiest half of the world. Okay. In other words, if you own a home, let's say you own a home that's worth $150,000 and you owe $146,000 on it, you're in the rich, richest half of the world because of your net. You see, see how that works? Um, to be in the top 10%, you would need to have $69,000 in wealth. Now you're like, I don't, I don't have $69,000. We're not talking about income, we're talking about wealth. Again, we're talking about if you were to sell everything, if you were to sell everything, pay off everything you owe, whatever you had left, that's your wealth, that's your net worth, okay? And so it's, it's, it's crazy, but we don't understand exactly how rich we are. I, I, I know you're not convinced yet, okay? Let me tell you something, about, something rich people do. It's, it's called upgrading. This is one of the ways you know if you're rich. If you've ever had something that worked perfectly fine, there's, there's really no problems with it. It just might not be nice and shiny and new. And you traded it in for something that was nice and shiny and new. That's called an upgrade, right? That means you're rich. That's something rich people do. That's something, that's something now, I, you know, I, I hate to admit it. I love gadgets. I'm doing something so stupid. I, I can't even express to you how dumb this, and I know I'm doing it. I'll probably continue to do it. I upgrade my phone. I pay more money every year to upgrade my phone more often instead of just paying to buy it. And, and over time, I would be spending a lot less money. I'd still have a great phone. It's, it's called an upgrade. I, I know none of you would ever do something like that. You have a refrigerator. It works perfectly fine, but it's the wrong color. And so you just, well, it's time to upgrade, right? That's what rich people do. I know none of you would ever trade in a car for a newer car, even though your car works fine. Right? You drive a car onto a parking lot where the dealer is, and you're like, this car works fine, but I want that one that works fine. And here's some money. It's called upgrading. It's what rich people do. Okay? It's what rich people do. All right, maybe you're not convinced. Okay, here's another thing rich people do. You most likely, now some of you, you know, may be different for you. Most likely you don't have to work all week in order to eat all week. You don't have to work all week in order to have a home all week. That's not the case worldwide. For many of you, you'll work six days a week or five days a week, but that allows you to live for the whole week, all seven days, right? In one day, you make more than you need for that one day. For many of you, one family member alone makes more than you need for one day. That's rich. Now, I know you don't feel rich, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, trying, to get, I'm trying to get your perspective because I need you to understand that this verse is written to you. So I, I've got to tackle this before we get into it, but I need you to understand. I need you to understand by global standards. I know you don't feel that way, but by global standards, you're pretty rich. You're pretty rich. And so I believe this passage is talking about you. So we're just going to take this, take this thing apart real quick. It's not going to take long. I'm just going to, some lessons that we can learn from 1 Timothy 6, okay? Here, and it's 17 through 19. 
Um, first of all, here's what it says. Don't trust in money. Look, just don't, don't trust in money. Why? Why? Because God don't want you to have any fun. He don't want you to buy the latest stuff. No, because it says money is so unreliable. It's unreliable. Have you ever been like on um, a, a suspension bridge and like it's rickety and you're like, I'm not so sure I can make it across. I, I had a situation. We were in Ireland once on a mission trip and Irish people, I didn't realize this, but the, you know, you think of the, an older Irish gentleman with a you know, red nose in a pub drinking Guinness and they're there. I saw them, I met them. They're really nice. But the young Irish people, uh, the guys we met, they were nuts. They were awesome. I loved them, but they were fearless. I mean, we were getting in like freezing ocean water, and they said, hey, let's climb up this mountain. We're going to worship the Lord at the top. So like a moron, I'm like, okay. So I go up there. I'm climbing this mountain in Ireland. Like you can see for forever. Okay, and Tiffany was a genius. She stayed at the bottom. So uh, I climb up this mountain about halfway up. The incline had changed from about like that to about like that. Now, it felt like it was 90 degrees, but I know it wasn't. But that's what it felt like. And for the first time in my adult life, I thought, I'm probably going to die right now. I mean, I I really, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you thought you were going to die. I thought I was going to die. I thought, I am going to fall because you look back and you just see rocks. And I'm going to die. I Here in Ireland... They're going to pick up my crumpled body off of these rocks. They're going to ship me back to the United States and have a funeral, and it's going to be terrible. I'm going to die. It was crazy because I couldn't get a footing, right, because every time I put my foot down, it slipped. And these goats were walking by, and these sheep, sheep were walking by looking at me like, what are you doing up here, man? Like, like, we've got hooves for this. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. I got separated from the group. Everyone was like, where's Jamie? Ah. It was... I was genuinely afraid for my life. It's happened a couple times, and that was one of the times. Because I didn't have, it, it didn't have reliable footing. We got to the top, and we sang Shout to the Lord. It was amazing. We could see just, it was amazing. Coming back down was it's a whole other story. <laughs> it's unreliable. It was unreliable footing. I wouldn't recommend it. Why? Because it's, hard. it's, it's, it's just not, it's, you're meant to walk flat, right? And money is just unreliable. It's not that it's bad or evil or anything like that. It's just unreliable. It's, it's not something you want to put your footing on. The other thing it says is that trust in God and enjoy life. It says your trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, now here's the deal. Do you know part of the reason why God put you on this planet is to enjoy life? But I thought we were supposed to, like, pray. and Oh, no, pray. Read the Bible. Be a good person, right? All these different things. But God didn't have to give you taste buds. God didn't have to allow you to be able to perceive music with your ears. Part of, part of the journey here on this life is to train you for heaven because heaven is going to be out of this world. And you probably couldn't handle it if you didn't at least have some joy here on earth. So part, look, if, if you like riding mountain bikes, go ride mountain bikes. If you like sewing, sew. Whatever your hobbies are, like do it with no guilt because part of what God wants for you is it's what the scripture says. He gives us all we need for our enjoyment. He's just saying, look, but just don't think that money, that money is going to be what's going to give it to you. Okay? But you can enjoy life. You can, you're actually supposed to. All right? Which brings us to this next point. It says they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. See, your excess is actually for others. It's not for you. 
Your excess is for others. Now, here in the United States, we equate success with excess. If you see someone who's got a good enough car for their family, a good enough house for their family, and making a good enough income, we don't see them as successful, do we? We call them middle class. You're middle class. You've got a class, but it's middle. Right? But the upper, oh, the upper class, they've got rooms that no one ever goes in. That's when you know you've arrived. When you've got a car that seats more people in your family, woo, you are successful, baby. Maybe you're wasteful. Isn't that interesting? We, 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 it's so funny. We see two cars riding down the road, same speed, going to the same destination. One car costs $10,000. Another car costs $50,000. Why? Wheels, got four wheels, got an engine. One's successful and one's not in our minds. Isn't that interesting? See, we, we, we equate success with excess. But what I want to let you know is your excess, according to Scripture, your excess, your surplus, your extra, by definition, is not needed. Right? That's what it means. It's not needed. It's, it's for other people. Look, we need to redefine success in our minds. Success is not having the biggest house, having the nicest car, right? Wearing the nicest designer clothes. There's nothing wrong with those things. If God has gotten you to a point in your life where you can, then it's fine. Enjoy life without guilt. But don't think that that's the purpose of it all because it's not. Your excess is for others, according to Scripture. Here's the next thing he says. Accumulate good works. If you want to accumulate something, if you want to store up something, which we all do, if you want to accumulate, accumulate good works. This is be generous. This is the rich should. He said they should be rich in good works. Why? Because you can't take your dollar bills with you. But here's what's interesting: you can take your good works with you. You won't be rewarded. See, there won't be an award. So and so accumulated this much while they're on earth. Yay! And the angels clap. There's not going to be that. But there will be so and so. Brought 50 people to Christ, and the angels will be like, yeah, you got it. Right? Right? And so if you want to accumulate something, don't accumulate something that's going to last you for 70, 80 years. Accumulate something that's going to last you for eternity. Other people, good works, love, grace, mercy. Right? Yeah, let's accumulate, let's accumulate the stuff that matters. And lastly, and this is, this is, it says, by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Do you want to experience true life? I think you do. Well, here's the thing. These things will get you what you really want. What you want in life is fulfillment. The reason we chase after things, the, the reason, see, we think money is going to make us stable, is going to give us a stable life. I think it's going to make us significant. Well, if I have money, people will look up to me. I'll be more... Look, what you really want is you want fulfillment in life. It's what I want. It's what you want. It's what everyone wants. Okay? And, and, and abiding by these lessons that we see in First Timothy, all right, it's going to give you what you really want. It's fulfillment. You want fulfillment. Believe me, you do. And so this is the way that you get it. Guys, generosity is God's plan to protect you from the my precious syndrome it's his plan he's like look you're going to have a tendency to turn into Gollum hopefully you'll have more hair than him but you're going to have a tendency to go around chasing things to chase after your, my precious but generosity is God's answer to that desire in your heart he's like look do, do things my way and you'll get my results right that's what God's saying to us 
And so my question as we end this series is, are you training to be generous? I say training here because it's not going to come naturally, right? You don't, no, Johnny, stop sharing. You, who told their kid that? No one's ever had to get onto their kid for giving away. No, no, Johnny, share with your sister, right? So, so you're going to have to train for this. This is not your default. You're going to have to train. You're going to have to renew your mind, as Scripture says, Romans 12. Renew your mind and train to be generous. Let's stand for prayer. I'd like everyone to close their eyes and and just prepare to kind of do business with the Lord. First of all, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, if there's never been a point in time, you don't have to know the date or the time. I don't know the date when I got saved. I remember it. But if there's never been a point in time, though, where you've said, from this point forward, I'm following Jesus. Like, I'm allowing Jesus to enter my heart, to enter my life, and, and not just to believe in him mentally, but I'm going to let him steer my car. I'm going to let him be in charge of my life. If there's never been a point and you feel the leading of the Lord right now and you say, I need to give my life completely to God, and you've never done that before, I, I'd love to invite you to raise your hand. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down front in front of everyone. I'm just going to ask you to come pray in a little bit. Anyone at all, raise their hand really high so I can see you and we will rejoice with you and you will know that you know that you know that you know that you are saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For everyone else, I want to ask you, are you generous? Just ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, am I generous? Or am I running around like Gollum saying my precious? Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you will, repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to be generous, just like you're generous. Help me recognize that although I don't feel rich, Globally, I really am rich. So I receive your instructions for rich people. And I choose to put my trust in you because you are reliable. And I trust that you'll help me enjoy life in a way that doesn't hurt me spiritually. I give my heart and life to you. Because you're generous. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. I'm going to call the altar ministry team up. They're going to be on the left-hand side of the stage. I'm going to pray a final prayer. And when I say amen, you are dismissed to go and live a generous life. Okay? But you'll also be dismissed if you raised your hand to make Jesus Lord of your life. When I say amen, please don't talk yourself out of it. Come. Come and receive the prayer that you need, okay, to seal that this morning. If you have physical problems in your body, we didn't, healing didn't really happen during worship this time, but we see it on a regular basis. Uh, we saw, we see people get healed all the time. Just this weekend, we were delivering 
um, meals for Thanksgiving, and someone who was totally deaf in one ear, the ear they were able to hear. It was crazy. It was amazing. It's really, really neat, okay? God still does that kind of stuff. I know that may stretch some of you, but let, that's okay. Be stretched. Just be stretched, okay? Because that's awesome. Healing's cool. <laughs> so if you need healing in your body, there's, there's, you're not going to lose anything. You're not going to get worse by coming up, okay? So, so come and get prayer. If you need someone to agree with you about a family situation, a relationship, or a job issue, they love to pray the prayer of agreement and agree together where two or more touch anything on earth. Come on, that's scripture. Do, do it. Do it. Take God at his word. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one final prayer. When I say amen, you're free to go and have an amazing day, and you're also free to come and get prayer, okay? Thank you, Lord, for this morning. We honor you and we bless you. You were generous to us first. So, Lord, we choose to be generous as well, to be like our Father. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us, to instruct us all throughout this week. Let us be the people that act like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all. See you next week.